Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Revival Month is a regular rhythm in the life of our church and our global family of churches where we dedicate a whole month to stirring up in us a greater desire and belief, anticipation for revival. And while um, revival is, you know, it's it, there's definitely a sense that it is a, a, a sovereign move of God that cannot be scheduled. There are some things that we can do to prepare for revival. There's a, a way of living that provokes the Holy Spirit to be poured out, for God to visit his people. So that's what I want to explore a bit more today. Um, what is our part in seeing revival here in Perth? How should we be living? In case you didn't know, um, you've heard several times today, we are halfway through a 10-day fast. We've had some pretty epic prayer meetings this past week, but it's only going to get better. We've got prayer meetings Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Friday night. So, you know, it's a, there's still five days left in this fast. So there's plenty of time to jump on board. You can fast one meal a day, two meals a day, all the meals a day if you want. You might have a little eating window, one hour. Uh, talk to somebody else who's just eating when the sun goes down. And man, I bet that is a, a food fest. When, that, when, the sun, when is it? Is it still dark out? Yes. <laughs> and they eat. But um, still time to join us. We're going to look at uh, two passages of Scripture today, which very closely align with one another. Our first passage is one that's going to look quite familiar to you. I've just preached on it a few weeks ago, but I feel like we know to need to go a little bit deeper on this passage. Uh, I'm going to look from a slightly different angle and pull out some aligning points from John chapter 15. But I'll read the first passage. Uh, and God here is essentially saying, if we will do certain things, if we will do this, then he will visit us in a unique way and bring change, transformation. So 2 Chronicles chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that's made in this place. Our second passage is John 15. See if you can pick up any similarities here. This is Jesus. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I want to talk today about preparing the way for revival. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here. And Lord, you are here to speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray for your help. I thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. Lord, I pray that you would unlock something in us, begin to speak to us. Lord, we do thank you for all the prophetic words about revival coming and beginning in many ways here in in the city of Perth. Lord, we want you to use us. But Father, we, we know that there is something you want to do in us that would provoke an outpouring of your spirit. Lord, would you show us what that is? Let it go deep into our hearts and our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I came to Christ at the tail end of what was sort of like a little mini revival that was happening in the mid-1990s. It was happening in the United States, like, uh, you know, you might have heard of the Brownsville Revival and then the Toronto Blessing Revival up in Canada. And then there were even, there were churches over in the UK where there was revival happening. I think Liv's Church, you had meetings like four nights a week, just meeting five nights a week, laying hands on each other, praying, just the presence of God. Um, and I got saved around this time into this church in Memphis, and I showed up at this church, and there was this really great move of God happening there. There were hundreds of young people there at this church, and um, it was really amazing because when I showed up there, I was so in awe of just the the boldness on on these people and, and all these young people that were prophesying, and I... Um, I you know, met some people there and I was talking to the pastor and he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. I just got swept away in this move of God that was happening there. And um, they started straight away catching up with me for lunch, discipling me, holding me accountable, inviting me to uh, this small group that met on the university campus where I was. And and they started talking to me about reaching my friends. So I started a Bible study in the fraternity house and God was moving. People were getting saved. Um, it wasn't a huge nationwide revival, but it was, it was a move of God that was happening. And um, I think in many ways, it was a, a move of God that was provoked by uh, the people of God living in a way that... God calls his people to live. And God was visiting those people with his presence and with his power. Um, sadly, those two pastors, they couldn't really get along. One of them um, went to start another church and they called it a church plant, but we all knew it was really a church split. And those churches were never the same again. And it was interesting because there was kind of this 
almost this very passive attitude that kind of crept into the church um, that I was at there where there would often be this prophecy about all the people that were going to get saved when revival finally came. It was like kept pushing off the, the move of God out into the future when, you know, when revival comes, prophesying re revival. Everybody, everybody was kind of looking forward to this move of God. And I think that's, it's great to anticipate revival. And in, in many ways, that's what this is about. We're crying out to God. But I think we have to be very careful that we do not allow uh, a passivity to creep into our lives. To understand that God does not call us to passively sit around and just wait for a sovereign move from God before we do anything. In fact, it was almost as if there was, there was a laziness or, or an, a, a, a timidity that just was putting it all on God. And there was not a whole lot of a sense of responsibility. There are some things that need to be in place. There are, there are certain activities that, that are happening. We can see throughout history when there were, are, have been revivals, there were certain things happening already. And God pours out his spirit. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, revival is an, an intensification of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is normally operating in certain ways. And there should be an anticipation and a faith in our heart to be working with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, for things to be happening. But then there's this intensification of the work of the Holy Spirit that we're crying out for. But I think before he will intensify his work, the people of God have to get into the flow of the normal operations of the Holy Spirit. And this passage in 2 Chronicles 7 spells out for us pretty clearly what those things are, what these normal operations of the Holy Spirit are that will lead us to revival. But before we highlight those three things, I think the first thing we have to notice uh, from this passage is that, and you can put that passage back up there, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. There, there was this sense that there was, there was some already some dark things happening. There was, there was some things happening in the culture, in the nation um, that, that, that brought a sense of a desperate need. And historically, we've always seen that revivals of the Holy Spirit have always come amidst dark societal times. Dark times in society are, are, are ripe for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost came amidst a dark time. I mean, you think about what it must have been like in Israel when Herod heard about this Jesus possibly being this Messiah, King of the Jews, being born, and he just had all, everybody slaughtered under two years old. All the little kids under two, all the male children under two slaughtered. Dark times. The church, the the the... the Supposedly spiritual leaders of the time were uh, blind gods, hypocrites, Jesus called them. Martin Luther brought about revival in the 1500s amidst very dark times. I mean, this is a time in the church when the church leaders were saying, hey, it's all good. You know, if, if, if you're feeling a little tempted, 
you know, we can actually sell you some indulgences and you can pay some money to the church and get forgiven in advance for the sin that you want to go commit. So you want to go visit the brothel, then, you know, just come and pay your indulgence and God will forgive you for the sin you have not yet committed. Dark times, the Moravian church in the 1700s experienced revival, uh, a revival that in many ways changed the world, but that came out of extreme persecution that they were fleeing from in their homeland. And out of that revival, hundreds of missionaries were sent out. Not many years later, because of that foundation laid by the Moravian church, men like um, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley were, were men who led the people of God in a season of revival. But that came at a time when um, enlightenment thinking had taken root. And most people uh, had rejected the, the notion of the supernatural. Many people were, their belief in God, they were deists. Yeah, there's a God, but he's far away and he wants nothing to do with anyone. We just live however we want to live. And so people were indulging in sexual immorality and drunkenness and gambling. Doesn't sound a whole diff lot different than Australia these days. Revivals in Korea in the early 1900s came out of a time when uh, the Japanese had invaded and were oppressing the people. China in, the, in 1953, in the mid-1900s, all the Christian missionaries in China were deported. And they thought that everything that had, they had labored for would, would die. Well, they came back years later amidst extreme persecution and found that in 1980, 30 years later, there were 2 million Christians there. By uh, the year 2000, there were 75 million Christians, all amidst extreme persecution people being imprisoned for their faith, revival coming amidst dark times. And when we look around at the world, the state of the world that we're living in right now, are we not ripe for revival? I mean, come on, God is doing something in the world to break people down. We've just come out of a global pandemic. There's all kinds of government overreach. There is most likely, potentially, possibly more financial chaos on the horizon. There are, there are economic problems that have not yet been solved. But judgment begins where? In the house of God. Before God will heal the land, before God will come and bring transformation in culture, he has to do something in the hearts of his people. In fact, the, the reason we're in the situation that we're in and the reason there is darkness in society and culture is because the church retreats. And so God's people have to do three things. Very clear in 2 Chronicles 7. God says we got to do three things. We must humble ourselves. We must pray and seek his face. We must turn from our sin. Think about it. We can be on the forefront of what God wants to do in the earth if we will just do these three things. If we can align ourselves with God in the way that he says to, then God can use us. Why not Numa Perth to spark something in this nation of revival, an opportunity to be on the forefront of what God is doing. So let's break each of these down. If we want to see revival, we've got to humble ourselves before God. 
The darkness that was in the land presumed that the people of God were not humble. The, the land was sick um, because there was not really in their hearts a great sense of need for God. They were doing just fine without God. They were distracted. They were apathetic. They were passive. Their hearts had grown hard to the Lord. They were unteachable. They didn't fear the Lord. Can I challenge you with what I think is one of the most obvious and overt manifestations of pride in our lives? It really comes in our tendency to want to isolate ourselves from others. If our hearts are hard before the Lord, it's going to be very challenging and very difficult for us to receive correction from anyone. Unteachable, hard-hearted. I mean, I think about my spiritual growth in my life and some of the very difficult and very challenging things that other people have said to me I remember one time I was living with his family and uh, they were this this man was discipling. In fact, they were very significant. This family was very significant in our lives. And uh, he was a pastor to us. And and, you know, I, I in this relationship, I saw just the extent to which a discipleship relationship can go. I was living in his home. I was doing this discipleship training program he was leading. And anyway, um, you know, I have meals with the family. We're backing out of the driveway one day. And he says, I got something I need to talk to you about. I said, okay, yeah, great, cool. He said, my sons have come to me and said that when you eat your cereal at the table in the morning, you smack really loud. You eat with your, your mouth open and it's driving my kids crazy. You think you could work on that? I was like, ouch. <laughs> Man, I did not know that discipleship would even go to the extent of my lack of social graces. But there's many passages in scripture where we are told to confront and challenge one another. And when we lack the humility to hear that, we can't grow. We can't be discipled. I love this passage, Proverbs 27, 5, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Do you know the greatest manifestation of love in our lives is when someone else points out a flaw in our character that we cannot see. We call that a rebuke. There's this challenge in this proverb here to embrace correction. Here's another one. I love this one. This is David, Psalm 141.5, talking about embracing uh, correction. Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. How about that? Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. That's another translation I learned. It is oil upon my head. The anointing increases when I am open, humble, teachable, letting other people speak into my life. Here's another challenging one for you. First Timothy chapter 520, which speaks of even the culture of a church. As for those who persist in sin, this is Paul talking to Timothy, rebuke them in the presence of all. Just publicly call them out and rebuke them so that the rest may stand in fear. Interestingly, Paul's saying even the proud, unteachable, 
arrogant one among you who is not going to respond to what you say, call them out publicly, rebuke them for the sake of the fear of the Lord on everyone else. How about that for a culture of humility? Before God is going to will pour out his spirit, there, there's, a, there's a revelation of his holiness that comes. And it's a revelation that can only come in the context of community, of covenant family, relationship with one another. This was a significant week in my life. Um, my uh, grandmother passed away this week. My granny, we called her granny. She was 93 years old. We got up at 4 a.m. this morning to um, participate in or watch the funeral online. And um, this is the same granny that uh, came into my, remember I've told you the stories about how my grandmother came into my closet and found my, my marijuana plant growing ap apparatus and, and just started like from that moment cursing my pot plants and praying for me. And within weeks, I was months, I was born again, following Jesus. She was a great intercessor in our family. But when somebody that you know and love and care about leaves this world. You know, you have this great sense. I remember when I had, my, my mom had told me that she had passed away and just my time with the Lord, I could, it was just this amazing sense that she's there in his presence. She's with him. And it made me start to think about, you know, the, the brevity of life and how life is a mist, a vapor. And, you know, I can remember sitting with my grandparents once and, and just, you know, hearing them talk. And there was, I could see the look on their face, even of even when my grandfather was speaking of things that you could just see kind of regret. Like there were things that I and, and this this sense that, man, where did the time go? How did I get to this point so quickly? It seems like just yesterday I was 20 years old and, you know, felt like I, I had forever. But something, you know, of that when we have that eternal perspective, it helps us to tap into a deeper humility. We can see here in John 15, 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is the greatest manifestation of humility in our lives is a recognition that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. You might say, well, I've been getting along pretty well in certain areas of my life up to this point. Yeah, but how much of that do you get to take with you into eternity? How much is going to go with you and how much is going to burn up? Anything of any eternal significance in our life, we can only do with Jesus' help. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal significance. And so maybe one of the reasons we may not feel that we need God or we lack humility is because we're not really living for anything that matters or will matter in eternity. We could say like this, the greater we care about what matters in eternity, the more we're going to long with desperation for more of Jesus. The greater spiritual hunger we're going to have in our hearts. Jesus made very clear, this is the most important character trait that you can have. Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Humility. It brings us to the front of the line. And so Peter repeats this challenge. He says, just be careful because God opposes the proud, 
but he gives his grace to the humble. If you want God's help, you want his grace in your life, humble yourself. In fact, he actually says that, humble yourselves. You know, we, we, there's not a, a challenge here to say, God, will you humble me? There's a, that's not a very safe prayer to pray, pray by the way. It's not necessarily a bad prayer. Maybe a better prayer might be, Lord, show me what humility looks like in my life so that I can humble myself before you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Revival does not come to a proud and arrogant people who are not spiritually hungry, who feel that they don't need God. There is something about a hunger, a longing for God's presence that provokes him to pour his spirit out. And this is really the primary reason why we're fasting, because we are cultivating in our hearts a greater hunger for God. Psalm chapter 35, David said, I humbled myself with fasting. So there's something about fasting that that switches off our, our longings for the things of this world, and it like just like hones us in on the presence of God. And those moments where we're spirit, where we're physically hungry, directing that God, just as my, my stomach is growling, my, my body is longing for food. So my soul longs for you, God. I am hungry for you. I need more of you. I'm desperate for you in my life. Our, our physical hunger causes the spiritual hunger to increase. And so if there's anything at all holding back revival, it's, the, it's complacency in the hearts of God's people. James Burns was a pastor in the early 1900s. During the revivals that began in, in Wales, and here's what he says about revival. Revivals are not usually preceded by the awakening of the church to a sense of need, but by the awakening of devout souls here and there who feeling the need they feel the need, begin to entreat God in prayer for revival. Gradually, this deepens and spreads until the sense of need becomes a burden, until the cry, how long, O God, how long, becomes an agony. This is the cry which God cannot deny. It is for that cry that we must intently listen. Is there then today a disposition to pray for a revival? If not, then the night is not far spent. A deeper darkness still awaits us. Of what use would a revival be if we are not prepared for it? It would pass over us without doing its work. Are things going to get worse in the world around us? I think in many ways that depends. Has the church not just recognize the need, but had a longing so deep, a groaning and a sense of agony for the presence of God. Do you pray for God's presence in your own time with the Lord? We want to see revival. That brings us to the second thing. We must pray and seek the face of Jesus. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
He's speaking here of that abiding is this deep, close intimacy in relationship, a closeness, intimate bond. And so there's this place of prayer and intimacy with Jesus that unlocks something where God says, what do you want? And then when there's that intimacy in that relationship, what do you think the greatest cry of the soul is? God, I want more of you. We need your presence. We need you to come and pour your spirit out. There's a, there's a place in prayer that God is taking us as a church, corporately and individually, that goes beyond a little 15-minute devotional time every day. All right? It's a good place to start. It's where I started. But a little scripture that comes up on the phone and a few little prayers is not going to bring revival. There's got to be something deeper in us, a groaning, a longing for the presence of God. Last week, Pastor Corey told that story of C.L. Greenwood, who uh, he, he, was, he was the first NUMA pastor. Did you know that? First pastor of NUMA. He began holding a prayer meeting in his house in 1917. That prayer meeting grew and lasted for seven years until it became a church in 1925. That same church really helped to birth the, the sunshine revival in the western suburbs of Melbourne. And that church became uh, Richmond Temple, then Richmond Assembly of God, then Bridge Church, and now Numa Church. But birthed out of seven years of prayer, intense prayer. The revival of the Moravian Church I spoke about earlier in those missionary efforts. They came out of a continuous prayer meeting, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that lasted for 100 years. This little group of a couple hundred Christians sent missionaries all over the world and sparked revival all over the planet. There was a revival that began in Scotland in the mid-1900s. There were these two old sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. They were in their 80s, and they prayed together daily in their home. Um, they weren't able to go visit the church because of their, their, their health, but they prayed by name for the people in every house throughout the streets of their village in Scotland. At the same time, there were seven young men that were praying, meeting in a barn, and they agreed to not stop praying. They were meeting three nights a week to pray. They said, we're not going to stop meeting until God brings revival to our city. And so one night after many months of prayer, these men in this moment of prayer said that the barn where they were praying was filled with the glory of God. They fell on their faces in the dirt of this barn and had this awesome awareness of God's presence. Interestingly, on the same night, one of those two sisters, Peggy Smith, had a vision of the churches being crowded with people and hundreds of people being swept away into God's kingdom. And that same week, revival began. People in that whole region would come and they would say that when they would get close, they could feel just a saturation of God's presence. All of that coming out of prayer. Man, how great if people would walk into wherever we're gathering and feel a saturation in God's presence. That, that comes out of prayer.
I could tell you many other stories of revivals that were birthed out of prayer. But I think it's time for us here at Numa Church in Perth to take our prayer to the next level. That's really what this 10 days of prayer and fasting is all about. It's to provoke something in us, a catalyst for us into this next season for us as a church. When revival month is over, we don't stop praying for revival and for an outpouring of his spirit. Remember, revival month is to uh, reawaken us and remind us to, to provoke us out of any complacency to, to, to begin to direct our prayers towards what matters most. How about we just decide that our gathering on a Sunday begins at 3.15 at our prayer power service and gathering when we meet here rather than four o'clock? Hey, we are, you're already coming at four. How, come, how about you come 45 minutes earlier? Let's pray together. What does it look like to take prayer to the next level? I mean, I have a dream that God's going to raise up about 50 intercessors who would take responsibility to, to be the primary um, people who pray 24-7 over our city, over this church, and over all that God wants to do in the future. Why not? Imagine if we just wanted revival enough just imagine if we wanted his presence to come. Just imagine if we really cared that much of the kingdom of God expanding in the world. What if, what if our greatest pursuit in life, what would that look like? It would look like us praying a whole lot. Why not commit to, as a church, to 24 hours a day, seven days a week prayer? The Moravian church did it. Why? Why did they do it? They, they cared. They had a desire. They had a vision for something. We humble ourselves. We pray and seek his face. And finally, if we want to see revival, we turn from our sin. We submit to the refining work of the Holy Spirit. Charles Finney defined revival as nothing more or less than a new beginning of, a new beginning of obedience to the word of God. A new beginning. What would it look like in your life to have a new beginning of obedience? in areas of your life that maybe have been hidden in the shadows or you thought there's no way I can overcome that or, or, or this has gripped me for so long. Revivals have always been marked by people casting down their idols and publicly confessing their sin, beginning to live more open and honest and transparent lives in community with other people. This just being gripped with a sense of God's holiness that he cares how I live. John 15, 10, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, if you will abide in my love. Why does Jesus want us keeping his commandments? Because he wants a depth of intimacy and relationship with us. You know how it is. Man, if there's anything that can, can um, separate us and, and make it hard for us to connect with God, it's sin. Some area of our lives that, you know, if you, you, we've all had things that we battled with. And you know what happens when you, when, when you commit that sin, if you really are convicted by the Holy Spirit, then you, you, you know, you, you really, even in moments, might battle condemnation and, and conviction of the Spirit. And it just doesn't, you feel, feel you've let down God. I remember, I've told you guys the story before, when I got right with God, Alone in my bedroom on a Sunday morning, three days later, some, some, one of my friends was getting high and I kind of succumbed to temptation and I'll just try a little bit. You see what it tastes like, man, the presence of God 
showed up in that in my bedroom. I felt the weight of his presence. And he said, son, you, that can't be a part of your life anymore if you're going to serve me. He cares. He, he, he doesn't want the, 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 see, when we have these idols in our heart, these things that we're really truly worshiping, there can be no intimacy, no depth of intimacy with God. We can at best go through the motions. And so as revival begins and as, as we, we're, we're longing for revival, there's a desire for Jesus that becomes so strong that we want to just remove things. God, is there anything hindering my intimacy with you? Is there anything hindering my relationship? Can you just bring it out into the open? Just show me. What, where, how, can I, how can I align more with your holiness? The Scottish pastor William Graham Scroggie said, there never has been a spiritual revival which did not begin with an acute sense of sin. We are never prepared for a spiritual advance until we see the necessity of getting rid of that which has been hindering it, and that in the sight of God is sin. And there's a sense where we need to have this renewed sense of identity of who we are in Christ, while sometime intention, in, in some way, keeping this realization and sensitivity to those things in our lives that the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on. It's unconfessed sin that stands in the way of revival. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. One more passage of scripture for you. This is one that God's been putting on my heart, and I feel he wants to refine us more deeply. Let there be, Ephesians 5, 3, no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Why? Because such sins have no place among God's people. Can we just hear that as the people of God? Sometimes in our complacency and, you know, our alignment with the world, we get a little bit callous to the things in the soul. The things we may do in secret or that get covered up. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. The next thing the Holy Spirit started dealing with my heart right after I was born again. First, he said, if, if, if you're going to follow me, that can't be a part of your life anymore. Worshiping this escape from smoking this plant. But the next thing he said was, all those videos you've got in your room? There's no internet back then. Back then you had to duck and weave into the shop, you know, like hope nobody sees me. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. The one that came after that and the thing that I think has been the longest battle in my life is that 
greed, which I spoke about a few weeks ago. Love of money, that sense that if I can just get that next thing, whatever it is, then I'll feel joy. Then I'll feel complete. God's saying, let me be the one that meets the deepest need of your soul. Can you trust me? If you will bring that before me, cast that idol down, whatever it is, can you trust me? This is a, a family. This We talk a lot about covenant family. This is a place, because of our understanding of the gospel and the recognition that we've all sinned before a holy God, I mean, to be honest with you, do you, do you think there is... Do you think there's any surprise at all if one of the young men that I'm discipling says, you know, okay, can I just tell you I've just been struggling with lust lately? Do you think there's any surprise at all? Did you, do you know that it's just the assumption for me? It's not, um, you know, hey, have you been looking at porn? It's how long has it been since you've been looking at porn? Because we live in this world where it is so easy to indulge the flesh in secret and nobody knows. But then we have this remembering of the presence of God. Ah, uh, Father, you see everything. I'm sorry. There's a grace in this season. We have been praying and fasting. And there's something that happens in fasting where chains can be loosed from our lives, things that have gripped us for a long time. What, it, what, what about those, the, 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 the demons that the disciples couldn't cast out, but Jesus could? Why could Jesus? And when they asked, well, how, how come we couldn't? Because some come out only through prayer and fasting. You know, there is a spiritual power that is unlocked in a season of fasting that drives demonic powers out of our lives and out of this church. This is a moment. This is a season of, of new levels of freedom. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.